come and teach you and, and you can just sit and listen to and hear him talk. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a joy. And so I'm so grateful for him and for his uh, lovely family. Uh, can we thank God for Lady Shaniqua? Can we thank God for uh, Taylor and for Harper? Just a good-looking family and just good people, and you just you thank God for good people. Amen? Amen. Uh, listen, it is his pastor's anniversary, and um, I left it in my bag, but I was always taught um, in my upbringing that when you come to a party, you come to somebody's celebration, you do not come empty-handed. And so, uh, brother, we have uh, a gift from you. Um, from our church, from the Brook Church, we just want to uh, sow into you and sow into your family and the kingdom. And then um, check your Venmo. I just sent you something else. Uh, check your Venmo. Um, I just sent you something else from Hannah and I as well, just um, as a thank you and just because we love you guys and, and appreciate you so much. Amen. Amen. If you would, uh, do me the kindness to get your Bible in your hand and let's journey together to the book of Galatians. Galatians um, chapter 5 is what I want to call your attention to. Now, last time I came here, um, I preached, uh, I think, from the book of Philippians last summer when I came for your anniversary. This time, I got Galatians. I don't like these pastoral epistles that I'm having to preach from. So I should, last year, I should have just picked a narrative or something. Y'all keep giving me hard stuff to preach from. Uh, uh, but Galatians chapter 5 is what I want to call your attention to. To the uh, Really, uh, I want to read probably through the first 12 verses. Galatians chapter 5, let's, let's read verses 1 through 12, if you'd be so kind. Um, if you could, can you bow your heads and whisper words of prayer with me? Our God and our Father, how we do love you and thank you for the gracious privilege of being able to come together for worship, Lord, to worship your holy name. God, we thank you, Lord, that we can stand and declare that we know that it's a new horizon, that it's a, a new season, Father, that uh, for the believer, every season can be a good season, can be a fruitful season, Father. And so, Lord, we thank you that many of us are stepping into um, the best days of our lives, that the best is ahead of us and not behind us. And so, God, I thank you for that. I thank you that that is a story and the testimony of the Sanctuary Church of Pastor Edron and his family, God. And so, Lord, we're just grateful for that. And now, Lord, uh, we're here because we need to hear a word from you. God, we have not just gathered out of routine or ritual, but we gather because, Lord, we need you to speak. So please speak, Lord. That's my prayer, Father. I pray your rebuke against any inclination in me to be impressive. Instead, Lord, help me to simply do, uh, to explain the word of God, uh, simply to chop wood and carry water, Father. And so, Lord, get the glory out of our time together. We ask it in the strong, sufficient, and mighty name of Jesus, we do pray. And all of us together said, Amen. Amen. Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 12 is what I want to read into your hearing. Um, now, Sanctuary, I did grow up in the black Baptist tradition. So that means I'm going to need y'all to talk back to me in here. Amen. Don't worry. If you say amen loud, you're not going to mess me up. I'm used to it. Amen. All right. Galatians chapter 5, verses uh, 1 through 12 is what I want to read into your hearing. It says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Therefore, stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourselves circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he has obligated to do, or he is obligated to do the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For we eagerly await through the Spirit by faith the hope of righteousness. 
For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. You were running so well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? This persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. And I myself am persuaded in the Lord you will not accept any other view. But whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. And now, brothers and sisters, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been established. I wish those who are disturbing you might emasculate themselves or themselves be mutilated. I just want to read the A clause of verse 13. I ain't going to step on uh, nobody's toes for next week, but I want to read the A clause. It says this, for you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. I want to preach today with the Lord's help and your prayers from this thought, this thematic thrust. Um, Who told you that? Look at somebody and just ask them, say, who told you that? Tell them, say, who told you that? Uh, Brothers and sisters, there was a short-lived cooking show that aired on TBS some years ago that was called Rats in the Kitchen. It was actually a team cooking show. There were six competitors who would all have to cook a certain dish, and they were all trying to compete for a cash prize. But what these competitors did not know is that one of the competitors was not actually in the competition, but their job was instead to sabotage the other competitors along the way. They were the rat in the kitchen, so to speak that they were not actually there trying to compete, actually there trying to accomplish the same goal. They were actually there to sabotage the other competitors. Brothers and sisters, I want to suggest to you that it is altogether possible that there are rats in the kitchen of Christianity. That there are individuals, people who would purport themselves to be followers of Jesus, but instead are actually trying to sabotage the divine dish of the new creation that God has made you and I. There are some rats in the kitchen. And brothers and sisters, this is what Paul is ultimately going to write. In fact, the entire book of Galatians trying to address this reality that there are individuals who are trying to knock other Christians off center by getting them to believe that there is something they can do to be made right with God instead of simply believing Jesus has made us right with God. And so Paul writes the entire book of Galatians, this entire letter to these churches in the the southern part of the Galatian region because he's trying to warn them of the simple reality that you should not listen to these other individuals, but instead you've got to stand firm in this one simple central truth, which is that faith in the righteousness, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone is sufficient for your salvation and that to believe otherwise is actually to forfeit the freedom that has been given to us in Christ let me say that one more time Uh, here it is faith 
um, in the righteousness, death, and resurrection of Jesus alone is sufficient for your salvation. And to believe anything otherwise is to actually forfeit your freedom in Christ Jesus. He's writing to these churches in the south region of Galatia more than likely because there are um, a group of individuals. They're called Judaizers, Judaizers. And um, they're, they're Jews who claim to be Christians, who wanted Christians, however, though, to submit to the uh, Messianic or the Mosaic, rather, law and institutions. And so these are some people who claim that they follow Jesus, but they are also individuals who are trying to say that in order to be a follower of Jesus or in order to be right with God, you've got to uphold all of the Mosaic law and all of the institutions. That means they ha- that they would have been required to be circumcised. They would have re- been required to make sure they observe every event or day that was in the Mosaic law. So they're trying to convince them that following Jesus is about what you do instead of who you believe in. And so Paul writes this letter, and I got to warn you, I don't, I don't like this, uh, I don't like having to preach this today because this is actually a scolding letter that Paul is sending. This is actually him really bashing them in some way because he's trying to get, he's trying to, trying to understand who told y'all that lie? Who has knocked you guys off center of believing in the righteousness and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ alone. Listen to the old opening statement. For freedom, Christ has set you free. And so stand firm then and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't run past that where he says stand firm because that's actually the imperative command of a text. Um, if I could give you a little insight into preaching. My, my home pastor years ago when he was training me, he taught me and reminded me that a sermon ain't a sermon. It, it doesn't call you to do something. If we just tell you something, but we don't call you to do something, then we've missed the mark. So here it is. Paul says, he says, uh, uh, free, by, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Watch this. Here's the imperative command. Therefore, stand firm. Don't be knocked off centered by a world and a culture that tells you there is something that must be added to your Christianity other than your belief in the righteousness of Jesus. Stand firm. Don't don't listen to the world when they say that that you're not a faithful follower of Jesus unless you're in church all every day, all day, 12 times a week. Don't, don't listen to, to a culture that tries to tell you that, yeah, it's following Jesus, but also if you don't speak up for every issue and every particular thing, then you're not, you're not a faithful follower of Jesus. Hear me, brothers and sisters. We ought to live out our faith, but we are not saved because of what we do as a result of our faith. We are saved by grace. This is why Paul is going to say in another, later, another letter, by grace you have been saved. Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and not of your own works, lest any person can boast. I thought I had a Bible church in here that, that knew where to shout on the Bible. This is why the text ultimately teaches of the gospel, ultimately says that there is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. There is nothing you can do to work to be made right with God, but it is only by believing in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If I could cut across the field, it's by believing that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died a vicarious death, and then rose triumphantly for your sins and my sins. That's what makes you right with God. So Paul says, stand firm. Hold on to that reality. Uh, don't, don't, don't lean in 
to this lie that is being perpetrated by other people who are trying to get you to believe that there is something that must be added to your salvation. Apparently, this was a persistent issue um, in the culture and the day as well, because Paul is going to address this issue actually in Romans. He's going to address it in First, in First Corinthians and Second Corinthians, and then he's going to write an entire letter to the church of Galatia or the churches of Galatia as well, showing us, watch this, that there will always be people who want to add to the singular requirement of faith in Christ in an attempt to narrow inclusivity of Christ's invitation that all can come to him. Yeah. Let me say that again. There will always be people yeah. who want to add to the faith, to the singular qualification that Jesus gives us, to that invitation that all may come. Because you do know that the Bible does tell us that Jesus desires that all men be saved. All mankind be saved, all men, all women, all children, all people be saved. You do know that, in fact, the invitation to God is inclusive. It's exclusive in how we can get to God, but it's inclusive in who can come to God. Exclusive in the sense that the Bible tells us that no man may come to the Father yet through the Son, that, that the only way to get to God is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's very exclusive, that you, you can't get there through your works, you can't get there through other means, you can't get there through other religions, I, I got to tell you, the Bible seems to suggest that the only way to get to the Father is through the Son. It's exclusive in that way, but it's inclusive in who can come. That done made me happy. My soul done caught on fire. It's, it's inclusive in who can come, meaning that you can come if you're black. You can come if you're white. You can come if you grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. You can come if you grew up with money. You can come if you grew up without money. Let me get on your rope for a second. You can come if you used to have a drinking problem. You, you, you can come if you had a lust problem. You can come if you don't always say the right thing. You can come if you use four-letter words that ain't Mark, Luke, and John. You, you can come... <laughs> No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, you can come to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's exclusive in how we get there, but it's inclusive in who can come. And brothers and sisters, therefore, we ought to stand firm in that reality. Even when the world and when the culture and when people try to tell us that there is something else that must be added to it. Hear me, brothers and sisters. You've been called to freedom, and therefore, you ought to stand in that freedom. And I need you to see this. One of the things he's going to tell us is um, that one of the reasons we ought to stand in that freedom, here it is here, um, uh, why you should stand in that freedom is because believing otherwise is bondage. Write that down. Uh, If you're going to stand firm, one of the reasons you should stand firm is because believing otherwise is bondage. I'm not making it up. I'm in the text. Know what the Bible says. For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm then. Watch this. And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Y'all see that? Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Um, um, this, this is interesting. Um, it, it's, it's interesting because, uh, Pastor Edron, in, in the preceding verses, um, in the preceding verses of, of, of Galatians chapter 4, it's interesting because uh, Paul is going to point out using um, Hagar... And Sarah, as a picture of, of the difference between the covenant that comes under the law and the covenant that comes under grace. Um, if y'all don't know, if you, maybe if you don't remember, uh, all the way back in Genesis, after God speaks to Abraham, tells him 
that I'm going to make you the father of many nations, that a seed is going to come through you. After he tells Abraham that, well, Abraham, he, he gets a little tired of waiting. And Abraham pulls something that I would never recommend any brother, any married brother ever try and pull. <laughs> Abraham's got a wife named Sarah, but he's, they've also got a servant or slave, as the text would say, named uh, Hagar. And Abraham gets tired of waiting. He's an old man, Sarah's barren. And so Abraham, I don't know how he pulls this off. But he convinces Sarah somehow. And Sarah convinces him somehow that instead he ought to uh, know in the biblical sense. He ought to know Hagar. And they produce a child of their own. Ishmael. Produce a child of their own. And what this is, is this is Abraham trying to help God fulfill his promises. Let me tell you the foolishness of trying to help God fulfill his promises. This is what happens. This is what Abraham is trying to do. And so they're going to have a child, and, and, and ultimately things aren't really going to work out. Sarah's going to start feeling some type of way, rightfully so, and, 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 and brothers and sisters. But then they're going to fulfill the promise. God's ultimately going to fulfill his promise because he's going to give a baby to Abraham and Sarah, um, Isaac, and the seed will ultimately come through Isaac. Um, so it's interesting because Paul is going to draw on this in Galatians chapter 4. And he's going to try to show us the difference or the parallel uh, between being children of grace and the promises fulfilled of God and being children of our own attempts at righteousness and through our own human efforts. And so when he picks up here in Galatians chapter 5, he, he's really starting by saying, remind us, y'all, you're not, you cannot, we're not children of our own human efforts like Abraham. The seed didn't ultimately come through through Ishmael. The seed ultimately came through Isaac. He says, I don't want you to be children of your own human efforts. I want you to be children of the promises that come from God and the faith fulfilled there. And so, brothers and sisters, he's going he's to he's pick that up. He's going to share that. And then he's going to say immediately, and don't submit yourself again to a yoke of slavery. That word slavery he's using, it's actually a play on words there, Holly, as he's speaking up the idea that Hagar was one of their hand servants, if you will. So he's saying, don't submit yourself to your own human efforts. Instead, I want you to stand in the grace. So here it is. You got to understand that to not stand firm in the freedom that has come through belief in the righteousness of Jesus alone is to put yourself back in bondage. It's to put yourself in bondage, to put yourself under a law, to put yourself tied again to an old covenant that has been uh, fulfilled by Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, know what he's going to say. He's going to say, um, if you get yourself circumcised because I was under the covenant. Again, I testify, every man who gets himself circumcised, he is obligated to do the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Hear me, brothers and sisters. Watch this. To lift up the law of God is to fall away from the grace of God. Um, to, to try to make yourself right is to actually make yourself wrong. To try to say, I can get to God somehow through my own human efforts is to miss God entirely. So watch this. I got to stand firm in my freedom because believing otherwise puts me back in bondage. It puts me back in bondage to the law because he's going to say, if you try to live up to one law, you got to then try to live up to all of them. Y'all know how many laws there are? 600 plus. Y'all broke some laws on the way here today. 
We're going by that. If you if you got a blend in your uh in your clothes, you you've broken some of the old covenant laws, brothers and sisters. Hear me. And so he says to try to lift up one law is then to tie yourself or bind yourself to having to live under them all. He says, don't put yourself back in slavery. Don't put yourself back in bondage. Don't put yourself under rules or regulations that God had established for a reason, for a governing, but not that he has called you to live under forever. To believe something otherwise, put myself in bondage. I'm going to hurry. I know y'all got to get to brunch. (laughs) To believe otherwise is to put myself back in bondage. So I got to stand firm, but I also need to stand firm. And if I'm going to stand firm, watch this. I got to beware of those who are trying to bump me off course. Um. Verse 5, he's going to say, for we eagerly await through the spirit by faith, the hope of righteousness. Um, watch, uh, if, if I could, watch this. This is him saying, not that we hope for the righteousness because we've been made righteous. If you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been saved and you have been regenerated and you have been made righteous. But when he brings it up here saying we eagerly hope through faith for the righteousness, he's talking about that end goal righteousness. Um, that word sanctification, if you've ever heard it in church, uh, um, sanctification is the idea of being changed or being made into the image of Christ. Or if you've ever read the word saved in the Bible, in the New Testament, a lot of times it's in the uh, perfect tense, which means that I've been saved, but I'm also being saved, and one day I will be saved. So when he's talking about that hope in the righteousness, he's talking about that one day when you shall be saved. You have been sanctified by Christ, meaning you've been set apart. You're currently being sanctified by Christ. Every single day, the Holy Spirit is doing a work inside of you, making you to look more like Jesus. You don't cuss as much as you used to. You don't drink as much as you used to. You are a little bit more kinder than you used to be. You're more patient than you used to be. The fruits of the Spirit start coming out. You got more self-control than you used to have. You're being sanctified every day. And then one day you shall be sanctified. We shall be made perfectly in his image, uh, uh, glorious and spotless without wrinkle or blame or blemish. That's the one day that Paul is talking about we're hoping for. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision accomplishes anything, meaning trying to live up to a law, trying to keep the regular. That accomplishes nothing in that process. What matters, though, is faith working through love. And then he gets to verse 7, and, and he says, you were running so well. This is where some of Paul's frustration comes out. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? This persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. I myself am persuaded in the Lord. You will not accept any other view. This is a pastor talking to his people. He says, y'all were doing so well. Who got to you? Who told you that lie? What boy started trying to convince you that you needed to add something to your salvation? This is, this is Paul's pastoral heart coming out. This is a little bit of his frustration coming out. Because he'd been preaching to the people, and he'd been teaching to the people. Edwin, you'll understand this. He'd been preaching to the people, and he'd been teaching to the people, and he'd been walking with the people, and he'd been praying for the people. And then one day, people just say some crazy things. Who told you that? You ain't learned that from me. That ain't what I've been preaching to. I'm sorry. We had a moment. That's Paul's pastoral heart coming out. And he's saying, who told you that? You were running so well. 
Who is trying to prevent you or who is persuading you to, to, to walk away from this good gospel? And then note what he points out. Note the illustration he uses. He says a little bit of leaven. Leaven's the whole dough. Because what we always got to remember is, and, and this, is the, uh, this is the sneakiness of the enemy. Um, I, I like to tell people that the, the craftiness of Satan is this. Is that Satan knows not to tell you big lies. He only wants to get you to believe little ones. What makes a good liar is that the lie is nine parts truth and just one part lie. What, what makes a good liar is not that they tell you this big outright lie, but they slide a little bit of deception in there to get you to believe something else. I wish I had time to tell you and show you where Satan does it. If I had, oh, uh, I, I, uh, listen, uh, did you notice that in Matthew uh, chapter 4, when Jesus, after he's been baptized by his cousin by the name of John, he is thrust out into the wilderness. The Bible says that the Spirit led him out into the wilderness. He's going to deal with the temptation of Satan. And, and note, when Satan begins to start to tempt, to tempt Jesus, Jesus, he starts quoting scripture to him. But if you read that text very closely, you'll see that when he starts quoting scripture to Jesus, he omits some of the verses. He omits some of the words. He starts talking to the word about the word. And he, he omits some of the verses, though, as though the word wouldn't recognize what the word once said. And so he gives him a little bit of lie, trying to convince him. And if I had a little bit of more time, I would tell you that when he does that in Matthew chapter 4, it's just a callback to what he did in Genesis chapter 3 originally with original sin. Because when the serpent comes to Eve and when the serpent starts talking to her, he, say, he says to the, uh, the, the serpent says to Eve, did God really say? Because he's sliding in a little bit of lie, trying to convince her, trying to get her to fall. He always starts in a little bit of lie. And so when Paul brings this up right here and he says a little bit of leaven, it doesn't take much leaven. Leaven is just yeast. It's the thing that makes the bread. He's, he's, he says it doesn't take much yeast to mess up the whole thing. Doesn't take much yeast. Doesn't take much leaven. To, to, to really ruin the whole batch of dough. And so, watch this. Paul is saying, it won't it's not much lie that Satan's trying to give you. He's just trying to get you to believe a little bit that there's something you can add. That if I'm just good enough here, or if I just do this a little bit more, if I can just not do this thing, then God loves me. Then God's good with me. In fact, let me flip the other way. Um, what he tries to do is he tries to convince you God doesn't love you because of that little thing. And so now you spend all of your time working, trying to work out your own righteousness, trying to get yourself to believe God loves you again by stopping this thing. If I could just stop this, God would love me. Or if I could just not do that, then God would love me. If I could just not do that, then God would accept me. If I can just not do that, he tries to convince you that there's something you've got to just stop in order for God to love you. But here's what Paul is saying. No, God loves you anyway. And he doesn't love you because you've done it all right. He loves you because you've trusted in the Jesus who did. And so you've got to be aware of those who will try to bump you off course, who will try to convince you just a little bit that there's just something you should add and believe, <laughs> something you should do differently in order for you to be right with God. Paul's frustrated here. 
I myself am persuaded that the Lord will not accept any other view. There's no other way you can be made right with God other than faith in Christ. Then what he says is, he's harsh. He says, but whoever is confusing you will pay the penalty. Now, brothers and sisters, if I still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are disturbing you might also themselves be emasculated. Paul points out that people that try to upset the reality of what God has done through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, he says they will pay the penalty. And then Paul is saying, I hope they're emasculated. It's actually Paul uh, using a play on words because what was going on is they were telling people, specifically males, they were like, you got to be circumcised. Circumcision was an Old Testament, uh, uh, Old Testament idea that one had to be cut. It was the outward uh, showing of the inward transformation. And so in the Old Testament, it was meant to be a symbol that you are part of the covenant of God. But the New Testament tells us that we have been circumcised in our hearts and that we are made right with God in that way. And so they were telling people, no, 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 you still got to be cut on the outside you still got to be circumcised on the outside and so when Paul says I wish themselves that they would be emasculated or cut off he's actually saying I wish the people that were cutting y'all would cut themselves I wish they themselves would be cut off because they keep trying to tell y'all y'all got to be cut to be right with God you got to be aware if you're going to stand firm um, you got to understand that to believe anything other than in the faith and the righteousness of Jesus is bondage if you're going to stand firm, you've got to beware of those who are going to try to bump you off course. But let me give you the third thing. If you're going to stand firm, you've got to understand that it's only believing that sets you free. It's only believing that sets you free. Verse 13, for you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. You were called to be free. Hear me. And that freedom only comes through faith in Christ Jesus. You were called that. I, I don't know if we talk about this enough, um, but those who have put our faith in the trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are the called out. You know, that's actually what the word uh, church actually really does mean. If we take it all the way to its original, um, the, the word church isn't in your original Bible language. In the original language, the word church that we see in our translations was the word ecclesia. So it was the word ecclesia. Ecclesia was a word that was actually about the gathering or the called out ones. You've been called to freedom. And hear me. Um, you, you've been called to freedom. You didn't call yourself. Somebody had to make the call. And so the reminder that Paul is trying to get you to understand is you didn't call yourself. Somebody had to make the call. And you got to stand firm because it's only in answering that call and putting your faith and your trust in God that you will find real freedom. You will bind yourself trying to make yourself right enough and lovable to God. If you want freedom, it's not found in your behavior. It's found in your belief. It's found in trusting the one who has already made you free. Um, Pastor, that sounds good, but give me some more evidence for it. Cool, I got you. Let me tell you how, how I know it's, it's, it's found in the one uh, who has called us out, who has, who has done everything right in spite of all of our wrongness. There's a man named Alistair Begg. Alistair Begg, he's a Scottish, uh, I believe, Scottish uh, pastor, preacher. Love Alistair Begg. Love listening to Alistair Begg. Alistair Begg in closing a sermon one day, talking about the sufficiency of the righteousness of Jesus and believing in him. Alistair Begg um, 
calls on the man at the cross, the thief at the cross. And he tells us this, this idea. He's like, man, I, I wonder what that scene was like when he got to heaven. When, when he got to heaven and they said, why should we let you in? And the angel began to ask him all the questions. Well, do you understand the doctrine of atonement? And the thief said, nope. Well, did you live a good life? This is a thief that's dying next to Jesus, who, who, who Jesus says, this day you will uh, be with me in paradise. But when Jesus meets him, he's just a thief. Well, did you live a good life? Obviously not, because he's hanging on a cross right now. Do you understand the doctrine of justification? Nope. Finally, the angel just said, well, by what means? Why? Should I let you in? Thief says, I don't understand. None of you ask me. All I know is the man on the middle cross said I could come. And can I tell you, at the end of the day, that's all of our testimony. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care how good you think you are. At the end of the day, all of our testimony, when we get there, is that the man on the middle cross said we could come. I didn't do everything right, but the man on the middle cross said I could come. Didn't dot every hour across every T, but the man on the middle cross said I could come. Didn't always say the right things, but the man on the middle cross said I could come. That's why the old saints used to sing this song, My Hope is Built. On nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is just sinking sand. In Christ alone, y'all, my hope is found. And brothers and sisters, may we not be knocked off kilter. May we stand firm in the righteousness of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you for the blood that was shed for us on Calvary's mountain. God, we thank you that our being right with you is not because we've done everything right, but because, God, you so love the world that you sent your only begotten son, that Jesus came, lived a sinless life, died a sinner's death, was buried in a borrowed tomb, but rose triumphantly on a Sunday morning. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, your rebuke against any other message other than that message of Jesus. I pray that we would not be knocked off. I pray your rebuke against the voices in our head or the voices in culture that try to convince us there's something else we can do. I pray for my brother and my sister in here today, Lord, who's been wrestling, believing that God loves them, who's been trying to get to God by themselves who's been trying to walk up the mountain to you, Lord. I pray today that they would stop trying to walk up the mountain and let you carry them. I pray that they would receive the righteousness that is found in Jesus alone and that, God, you alone would be glorified. So, God, to you be the glory for the salvation. To you be the glory for deliverance. To you be the glory for healing. To you be the glory for all the things that you have done. In that strong and sufficient name of Jesus, we do pray. And all of us together said amen. Amen. Amen.